0: So we're going through a series through the book of Acts. We're continuing today. It's a second uh, passage coming out of the uh, 19th chapter. And today's passage is, uh, it details a clash of cultures with a growing group of Christ followers known as the Way making inroads into the hearts and minds of the already hyper-spiritual Ephesians. So here Paul and his fellow missionaries face resistance to the gospel when it becomes clear that his message of repentance of your sins and worship of the one true God inevitably means a disruption of the status quo, that is, in this case, idol worship. Now, anytime there is a rotation in a culture to a new spiritual ethic, there will inevitably be winners and losers in the new spiritual landscape. So what occurs in today's passage is that those with a lot to lose as a result of the gospel spreading, determined to draw a line in the sand. So we're going to review their actions and the motivations behind them, and then we'll discuss what can be gleaned today from this example of people who say no thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they believe that some alternative will better serve them. First, I want to provide a brief background to establish the setting in which the action takes place, and then we'll read through the passage, and it'll be up on the screen. So, Ephesus is located in modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was known as Asia or Asia Minor. And this community was a large community. It was well-established at the time of the early church. In fact, it was world-famous, because it was the location of one of the seven wonders of the world, a massive and gorgeous feat of architecture known as the Temple of Artemis. So scholars believe that an asteroid had fallen and an entire religion had formed around the worship of it and a temple was built at the site where it supposedly was discovered. So after that, within the Greco-Roman culture, centuries of evolving myth, um, and centuries of evolving myth, the asteroid was given a female fertility goddess personality named Artemis. Now, in order to facilitate the worship, of their deity, while not at the site itself, local craftsmen developed a dependable trade in the molding of handheld personal models of the goddess Artemis. Now to the faithful of Artemis, these quote-unquote gods were sacred and their owners put their hope in these hand-fashioned items. But to the Christian and Jew alike, who were monotheistic, these were just more of the same worthless idols that had been unfortunately worshiped by Israel and their surrounding nations for centuries. So Paul, on his missionary journeys to proclaim Jesus as a Christ throughout the region, saw such idolatry everywhere he went. But as Isaac pointed out a few weeks ago, Paul, with tremendous zeal and effect, confronted the worship of false gods. So, let's go now to chapter 19, verses 23 through 40, and see what happens. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that the gods made by human hands... Are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the whole province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, when they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence to make a defense before the people. But when they realized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! I'm going to pause for a second real quick. This... It, it just reminded me of the Occupy Wall Street movement. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows what they're saying. you got basically people shouting, and if you don't know really what you're saying, you just say it louder and you repeat it. So, back into the text. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these acts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro They can press charges. If there's anything further that you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, We are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. Now, when I first read through this passage, it troubled me to see that there wasn't any great climax to the story. (laughs) It kind of fizzles out. There's no sermon by an apostle. There's no mass conversion to Christianity. There's no violent act for the church leaders to endure that we might be able to appreciate their example centuries later. So why would Luke, one of Paul's traveling companions, and the author of the book of Acts, include this incident? Well, Mike and I debated this, and we agreed after a while that this particular situation was really just the latest in a series of resistance to the gospel events that the apostles had to contend with. We've seen many forms of this occur in the first 18 chapters of Acts. In fact, I counted 10. It's kind of like an underlying theme to the book. You've got the, the major theme of the church expanding and seeing growth of the church, but you also have, you're going to consistently see resistance every time you go out and spread the gospel. But the commonality between them is that those who hear and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ are doing so because they find their hope and something, or someone else. So you read this passage, and on the surface it appears that it is about holding on to the cultic practice of worshipping idols, specifically Artemis. But the real god here that Demetrius is bowing down to is wealth. Or economic security. Cold, hard cash. He believes wholeheartedly that his income and the Fancy things that he can buy with it, the amount that he has in his mind set aside for a rainy day, and how he's going to invest it so that he can enjoy a comfortable retirement. That's what he's going to fight for and protect. And he's willing to risk his own freedom and that of his city by publicly stirring up a riot, which could potentially lead to Roman annoyance and therefore Roman intervention. You see, they're all within the Roman Empire, but Ephesus was a free city that was allowed to self-govern. And he's willing to stir up problems because he wants to assure that that steady stream of customers keeps on filling up his till. His heart is so wrapped up in the things of this world that he is not open to learning about his creator and the offer of eternal life in his heavenly presence through a saving relationship with Jesus, the Christ Do you know anybody like Demetrius? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we we all know somebody like Demetrius. What a great cost he was willing to pay for his devotion to the temporary glow of economic security. What a sad, sad situation it is when we see a loved one putting their hope into a monetary unit What a thin veneer of spirituality and devotion to Artemis he wore, thinking the only way she would retain her glory was if he manipulated the business community and that they ultimately as a city agreed to demonize and embargo Christianity into irrelevance. Doesn't sound like a very powerful god. She might lose her glory. Really? Can she not defend herself? Paul has been successfully convincing Demetrius's neighbors that the temple is nothing more than a fancy building built over a rock. It's empty. An empty hope. And this much I think he recognizes as true. Why else would he feel the need to intervene on her behalf? The reality is, as long as people were buying his silver trinkets, he probably couldn't care less what image he was crafting was if there had been a potential market for Jesus trinkets, I think that Demetrius would have drawn the outline of a fish on his shop sign and said, Christians, welcome. So the almighty dollar wins out here. And we're just left shaking our heads. That is, if we think in terms of eternity and are assuming that we value Jesus. Based on Demetrius's own decisions, and where his hopes truly lay, the eternal fate of Demetrius is recorded by Luke as a cautionary tale of spiritual hypocrisy. And it points us towards a bigger question, which Jesus himself asked. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Money is not evil. Did you know that? People often say money is the root of all evil. That's misquoting Paul. What Paul said is for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is morally neutral, it is a tool for efficient commerce, nothing more. It's no more evil than your TV. Your cell phone, the internet, or social media. It is the content that we consume with these tools. It is the motivations behind our use. It is the intentions of your heart that God sees as wretched. The Bible, in many instances, actually describes money as a blessing, and the Lord himself told parables urging the sound investment of it. Money can, for many people, be the thing that God uses to save their lives, rebuild their homes. Are we ever going to find a cure for cancer someday? Yes, through billions and billions of dollars worth of research. God is not against money. God is against money becoming God to us. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Another admonition from the Lord about what to seek and truly value is this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you take those words to heart? I do. I'm a business owner, just like Demetrius. July 1st was my 10-year anniversary of owning a very profitable company. It's been a tremendous blessing, and my wife and I give God all the glory for it but I don't put my hope in my potential future earnings. As a matter of fact, I'm in a major transition in my life right now. If you know me, you've already heard, at the end of this month, I'm starting a full course load of seminary in pursuit of a Master's of Divinity degree so that I can someday have a career full-time ministry. Maybe you'll learn how to preach, too. Sometime in the course of my studies, I intend to sell my business outright and say goodbye to what many would say is the American dream. Accomplished. And there's a lot of loud voices that say, dig your nails in tight, man. Don't let that go. That's going to save you. But my, My bride, Becky, and I, we don't view my business as some brilliant thing that I've created and I have to hold on to. It is a blessing that I have been temporarily entrusted with and I've received great things from it. I wouldn't have been able to adopt my two kids if it hadn't been for this thing that I was entrusted with. So Becky and I will take our two kids and we will hopefully get full-time employment working for some church or some ministry somewhere. But we're going to be working for the kingdom and not for profit. And I expect to be rewarded much more, intrinsically and eternally. And I pray that my family will recognize that Becky and I are living out our values and not just giving them lip service. Sometimes money is a temporary thing God uses to bless us. A yes from God. But God himself is the bigger yes. Yes. He wants to be all we need and desire. He wants us to view money like we might view that ancient engineering marvel, the lever. If you don't remember what the lever is from engineering class, imagine I've got a 1,000 pound boulder and a really powerful metal stick. And I stick it under it, and I'm able to move that boulder, which without the lever, I could not budge. The lever is how the great houses of worship in Egypt and in Jerusalem and in Ephesus were built by human hands, it's a tool. God wants us to leverage the tools of this world, like money, for his glory. He wants us to be wise with our money, absolutely. Read through the Proverbs. Tons of advice about sound money management, but he also wants us to hold on to it loosely. And not be like that man in the parable with the overflowing storehouses of grain when He doesn't have enough space for storage. So what does he do? He builds bigger storehouses. I have to save more. I have to trust in what I can put my hands on. That parable ends by him saying, for we just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is all there is. Do you believe that? The challenge, of course, of the biblical attitude towards money is that it runs in stark contrast with pretty much every message that we hear every time that we connect with the advertising-polluted, American consumer-driven outside world. Live here. You'll find safety. Drive this car. It says achievement. Wear this watch. People will respect you. So do you put your hope in things that moths can destroy or that thieves can steal? And at what cost, what cost do you put your hope? What are you willing to give up for it? If you ever took economics 101, you'll remember something that's taught very early on. An important concept known as opportunity cost. We're taught that life is a series of decisions based on what we value. And with each decision that we make with our time or our money, there is a non-monetary cost associated with it that we often fail to consider. For example, if you have $100 to spend on an experience or an item, you can't do both. We cannot spend the same money and get something to take home with us. So we go out to a restaurant and we get the appetizer, and we get the main dish, and we get the dessert, a cup of coffee, and we've tipped, and all of a sudden the money is gone, and now we can't buy the t-shirt that says that we were there. (laughs) So you give up the power of the cash held, and you lose the chance to do whichever alternative you valued less at the time of purchase. Money is scarce, time is scarce. God gave us our lives as a chance to seek him and find him. There's a limited amount of time on earth for each of us. And some of us, like Demetrius, choose to put their hope in the things of this world, like wealth, at the expense of knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. So this misplaced trust creates an infinite opportunity cost. Our eternity. Sadly, many people believe that all that life is this is, this is it. They have to extract pleasure where and when they can. They believe that lives are a short number of pleasurable, small number of short, pleasurable experiences mixed with an even greater number of painful episodes. And you look around and you see people's lives are undergirded with a sense of hopelessness. Well, C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, spoke about this in The Weight of Glory speaking about the attitude of the human heart that has said no to Jesus Christ. And he said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You feel that? Eating mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That is the trade Demetrius made in his outright rejection of the gospel and his resistance to the gospel. So what the author Luke is insinuating by including this and other such episodes of the resistance to the gospel is that somehow, or some, excuse me, sometime in, the, in Demetrius's future, he's going to die. And he's going to realize the high cost of the choices that he made. And then he will experience what is known as buyer's remorse. I ask you again, are you sufficiently pleased with the temporary things of this world? In your contentment, are you piercing yourselves with many griefs? Or do you believe that you were made for something more? Something beautiful? Something eternal? The good news that Paul brought to Ephesus is that anyone who humbles themselves, takes themselves off the throne of their lives, puts all their hope in Jesus Christ, can experience forgiveness for all of their sins. And experience not just a markedly better life on here on earth with true satisfaction, but an immeasurably better eternity in the glorious presence of the loving and one true God. Would you bow your head for a minute? I want to speak to the people who have not yet put their hope in Christ. It's no accident that you're here today. God inspired the words of this scripture and he has protected the words of this scripture for thousands of years so that you could hear it today, so that you could be challenged. I get the privilege of putting a fork in your road. Ask yourself honestly, does what you put your hope in, if it's not Jesus Christ, does it truly satisfy you? Now ask yourself this. This is what you put your hope in. Can it save you? I doubt anybody here carries around with them Artemis trinkets. But most idols are not held by human hands. They are held in human hearts. If you want to secure your place, In Christ, in heaven, all you need to do is cast down your idols. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something you consume. Repent of that sin and invite Jesus into his rightful place right now. Let today be the day that you worship him in spirit and in truth. If any of you made that decision. If any of you feel the Holy Spirit stirring in you, I would simply ask you to look up at me and acknowledge that. Hallelujah. Thank you. You can lift your heads back up. It's got a little bit more here. God is so good. To the Christians here today, you have wisely secured your place at the great banquet in heaven. So let table, today's message be a reminder. While there are certainly some temporary costs associated with following Jesus, they are nothing to grieve over compared to what we have to look forward to. The follower of Christ Hear me. The follower of Christ will not experience buyer's remorse. On the contrary, as Paul said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Lord God, thank you for opening, uh, revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you for preserving your word all this time so that we could hear it today. Lord, let us, let today be the day that we cast down our idols. Let us not bow to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Bless us indeed, in Jesus' name. Amen.